Pray with me. Lord, we need to taste you now, and we need to be like you, salty like you. And we need to see you, Lord, and we need to look like you. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please have a seat. My name is Paul Van Allen. For those of you I haven't gotten to meet, I'm a deacon here at the church. And so uh, I preach just enough to like, uh, well, it's like I exercise sort of, like just enough to always be out of shape. So (laughs) one of my goals today is, well, there's a couple of modest goals. One is to be faster than Jonathan Kinberg was last time, which we're both about as long. And the second is to break just enough preaching rules to make David Taylor nervous and like watch, look over at him and see him go, where in the world is he going? <laughs> but the other two goals, the, the actual goals from the Lord, are that you would taste God and want to taste like God. You know, that you would see him and you would be audacious enough to leave here wanting to look like him. Our text today from Matthew 5 follows last week's text, the Beatitudes. And as I sat before these two images, the image of the salt and the image of the light this week, um, I did a couple of things. I let the imagery take me in a couple of specific ways. Um, One was I let the salt of the earth, and I saw it connecting back actually to last week's passage, the Beatitudes, that there's a certain taste of God certain tastes that Jesus brings into the earth in the Beatitudes, that he says, these are the blessed things. These are the blessed ways. And the other thing that I wanted to do with the passage is to not do too much with the imagery. I've been around the church enough to always hear the mechanism of like, oh, this is about preserve sort of like something culturally or some some function of preservation in the world. And I don't dismiss that. I'd be standing against a lot of commentators if I was to say that's not there. But what I think Americans can do with that type of thing is go, okay, let's go straight to mechanisms to like preserve social things and cultural things and moral things in the world. Let's get tactical really fast. You know, when I see the exact opposite of what Jesus says in this passage, he actually doesn't command in the salt part any sort of tactic or operation. What does he want? He wants you to taste a certain way. He wants your essence to be a certain way. And he says, if salt loses this one thing, saltiness, it's just worthless, you know? Um, I remember doing a silly American thing with that because it says throw it onto the, and be trampled. And so I was like, oh, well, maybe there's some value in that. You know, like maybe that's good for something, you know? And uh, it's like, no. I mean, I found the parallel passage where Mar- I think it's Mark or Luke that says, this is not even worth throwing in the manure pile. Like, do not throw this into the manure. You'll ruin perfectly good manure <laughs> with this unsalty salt. That's how worthless this can be. It'll be crusty white stuff. I don't want to be crusty white stuff. I want to taste like God. So how do we do that? I am not going to get to the bottom of that one today, but I'm going to just point us. And I'm going to point us back to the Beatitudes. I'm going to point us to Jesus. Let's go back to where we got to get to the chapter five in Matthew, 
Jesus is born, and we get the narrative around that in chapters one and two. In chapter three, I want to so first be born. You guys can check that off of your box, okay? <laughs> Done. I've been born. <laughs> chapter three, Jesus is baptized, and he is filled with the Spirit of God. And it's like really important that that happens for him. He's not just doing it for him. He's doing it to open a door that he's calling us through with baptism. Filled with the Spirit of God. Chapter 4, so you have the Spirit of God. In chapter 4, he goes into the desert and he fasts for 40 days. He basically, he just basically pushes himself into the hardest place you could possibly be. The place where all the junk comes out. Everything is tempting. Uh, it's like me, if my blood sugar crashes, you get the worst version of me, right? Like Jesus, 40 days in, and Satan comes to him and says, mechanize your power for bread. Mechanize that thing. Let's go. And what comes out of Jesus and all of his temptations, I think uh, Rich Mullins calls this one of his songs, like quoting Deuteronomy to the devil, because he just starts bringing out the word of God. And he doesn't just have Bible verses memorized tactically. He says in there, man doesn't live on bread alone. He lives. He lives this life, the life, capital L, life, by feeding on every word that has come out of God, the word of God. And so just for, we'll get into some tactics then. Be baptized, be filled with God's spirit, and feed on the word of God. The whole Sermon on the Mount gives this imagery that invites us in to a new reality, and I would just say immerse ourselves in this new reality. I have taken back up, for those of anybody who's been within a few feet of me knows what I've gotten back into, which is an old school thing from my earlier walk with God, which is just to memorize verses of scripture. And um, that's just become really, really core to me. I've um, reflected lately, that Jesus, and probably in the past, you memorize early Jewish followers of Yahweh would have memorized scripture um, because there's very few words in print. You know, you have to. If you want some Bible with you as a shepherd, what do you got to do? You got to memorize something. Take it with you. Um, I think we have to memorize scripture for the exact opposite reason today. There are too many words. There are too many words in print. There are too many words coming at you through your AirPods or AirBuds or whatever those things are. Just <laughs> words, thoughts, tweets, everything is just flying our way. And by memorizing scripture, and really it's not memorization, it's not getting a badge at your Awana, you know, thing. <laughs> it's, it's holding it and slowing down around the word of God, letting the imagery give you actual nutrition re and live to you, alive and for you, this reality. I, Ava has been doing this with us, Lisa and I. It's been the main way that we've been doing discipleship is just to like, we have a little app on our phone and we pull it up and we just pick a verse and we go and we quote, you know, whichever verse you want to do is great. And uh, we think about it. And I just told Ava the other day, I was like, it feels like, you know, if you're just reading quickly past the words of God, and we've learned to sort of, we've actually, I think, lost the ability to read well. Even Philip Yancey mentions that in an article, that he's just sort of lost the ability to read because of the, just the deluge of words. It's like we have, we, we're, our attachment to words neurologically have just changed. But he, so I just told Ava, I was like, you know, it kind of feels like sometimes if I just like read, it's like I've got my favorite meal 
and licked it, <laughs> you know, or smelled it. Like I'm, my thing, and it's, actually I was going to say this about salt. So just this week, um, my, some friends asked us out to dinner for her birthday and they bought us steaks. And by the way, if you want to uh, you know, know me, my love language is steak. It's red meat. And so I was loving that. And the guy came out and put the steak down in front of us, perfectly cooked, medium rare, juicy steak, ribeye. And um, here is my biggest pet peeve post-COVID dining out. Close second is the QR code thing. But the first thing is that somehow it came into people's minds that we will save the world by not leaving a salt shaker on the table. Oh my gosh, so the guy leaves his perfect steak in front of me, the great waiter, and disappears for 15 minutes. And I can't eat this thing. I'm literally trying to have eye contact with my friends and I am looking desperately for a waiter. I can't taste this meat, I need this salt. And then guess what? I did not lick the steak afterwards. Actually, I was so desperate for salt, I got some off the ring of my drink and sprinkled it onto the like steak. So, um, so a little hint of Paloma in my steak. Um, but we have to we have to feed on God if we want to have the flavor of God feed on this imagery of this new kingdom if you want that to be a reality in your daily life. For me, very practically then, it's like, where am I going with this scripture? I am at a place in life where I'm old enough, I guess, and worries have, there's like a, some sort of crisis that happens in your 40s where your worries and your age mean you'd stop sleeping well, apparently. And so... Um, I reflected on my bed the other day and I was like, this has become a place of worry, you know? <laughs> this is where I lay down and think about problems and worry about stuff. And it's not good. And I'm like trying to bring passages that I've sat there and you know, grabbed a hold of and pull my mind towards that truth. Maybe just a line of imagery um, from scripture. Um, and you know what I, it, like, it feels like? Have you ever driven a car with this power steering out? I mean, I am like trying to turn the wheel of my mind away from the thing that popped into my mind towards God and his truth. And honestly, I fail a lot. <laughs> um, there is unbelievable power, though, available to us as we learn to taste like God. I just think of uh, an old guy that um, Lisa and I only met him one time, but when we first got married and we were missionaries, Cliff and, <clears throat> Cliff and Bunny, used to, I think they supported us 10 bucks a month. Um, and we never met Cliff until, uh, we didn't, I didn't even know him because only Bunny could go to church because Cliff was basically disabled um, and we, Cliff was feeling good enough one day for us to come over, so we came over, and it was, he said it was a good day. He was able to be on the couch. Um, and Cliff was a Japanese man. He had beautiful English. And I just remember him saying, I learned my English from the NIV Bible. And his English was good. And I was like, and this guy was the Beatitudes on a couch. I mean, that's, this guy was unbelievable. We have to get nutrition on a daily basis from the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, if you want to taste like God. 
Um, when Lisa and I were in China, um, learning to eat was a challenge. So I intentionally went to a place, this was when I was still, we were still not dating or married, went to a place where there was very little English. And uh, Lisa had been there a couple months before me and there was a little hole in the wall restaurant across the street with three little tables and we called it Kirby Lane Cafe because we couldn't read the sign. Um, and um, my first day, I went and got the menu and I tried to not offend them because I couldn't communicate, but I took the menu and ran over to where I saw a photocopier and I photocopied the menu because it's all in Chinese characters. And I came back, gave him back, said, sorry, you know, like I stole you, why did that white guy steal my menu, you know? <laughs> And I gave it back to him, and then I took the photocopy, and I sat down with my tutor, and I was like, I need to know what all the stuff on here is, <laughs> so I know what to point to. And I learned real quick that if there was a yedzapong, that meant don't order that, it's either, it's some sort of organ, you know? <laughs> and so, just avoid all of those. And then there were two other uh, characters, and uh, there's one with a ding, and now a ding is good. Ding is little chunks of chicken breast, or whatever, that have no bones. So there's like three things that have a ding. So, oh, I just order those things all the time. Over the years, though, you have to learn to order something with a quar, which is, means like a chunk or a piece. And there's a dish that we called chainsaw chicken. But it was basically <laughs> just hacked. Bob knows China. I love a good Bob laugh. That's my other goal is to get a good Bob laugh when I do this. But it's chopped up, and, and it's like it's all the bones are all in there. It's like, okay, I got to like, how do I possibly get off of this? How am I going to get the food off? You know? And the first time you eat that as a guest and a Chinese uh, you know, host has graciously made this for you, you watch their eyes in horror as, as an expat like myself gets a little nibble of meat off and then leaves this piece of bone with tons of meat on it. You know, just tons of meat left on there. And our, it's, it's just an outrage. You can see in their eyes, just like, what? you don't know how to eat food. How did you get so big? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but over the years, we learned how to get pretty much all the meat off of the bones. And, um, and honestly, we learned that's the good stuff, you know. That's the good stuff. That's what we have to do. That's what we have to be. I think of the word liturgy here and the, that, that we use for the way that we worship as the work of the people. And I just want to say, when you're here, this is a place of work. And the work is not that God really loves these things that we do up here. That's not the work. The work is in our hearts. We will use the language, feed on him in your hearts and by faith and thanksgiving. That you have work to do in here, right here. And so don't let this place be a place of like, kind of like a liturgical fog machine that's just sort of like, uh, I kind of just like the feeling, you know? Work, eat, get meat off of the bones of the word of God while we're here. And the clergy also has to work to make it clear, to present this well. That passage from Second Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 2 that uh, we had, Cassidy read, the apostle says, I resolved to base, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Like, I'm going to be clear and make this, I'm chopping this thing up as well as I can for you to eat, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That doesn't mean he doesn't go into every possible situation. 
the way that sign gifts are being used, the way that morality is happening. No, I need to see in this context, Jesus Christ and him crucified, and in this context, Jesus Christ and him crucified. So it's not that it's like relegated to like doctrinal rehearsal or creeds. It moves out, but in clarity, anywhere where the body life is obscuring the clarity of Jesus Christ and him crucified, we gotta go there, we gotta make it clear. All right, second image. Got to beat Jonathan here, so I got to hurry up. All right. You are the light of the world. Here we have actually some verbs to do. Go and do good works in the world. Look like God. Don't just taste like him. And what I see is take this two-dimensional thing and make it three-dimensional by going out the doors and doing mission living morally out the rest. If the top of the hill looked back, salt looks back to the Beatitudes, this looks forward to a radical new ethic to be lived out in the world. Uh, I would love to just blow right past my time and break it all down, but it has to become three-dimensional. In the 17 through 20, Jesus is clear that like, I did not come here to like, put my foot on the brakes on what the Old Testament was trying to do and undo any of that. This is foot on the gas. This is the whole thing going further. It's an expansion. I felt very pulled at this point to bring us to James. I uh, sometime buy me coffee and just say, Paul, talk about James and the Sermon on the Mount and how they connect, because that would be something I would love to talk about. But, but James in chapter one and in the collect, it talked about a true religion, I think, you remember the language, pure religion or true religion? But James says in chapter one, verse 26, this is pure and undefiled religion to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep yourself unstained by the world. Meaning don't buy the narrative of the world, live in the narrative of Jesus Christ, the cross and him crucified. And make that pure by visiting outside of your comfort zone. Um, I will just say this tactically, um, we have a moment, I'm seeing it everywhere. I was in DC last week and just happened to, didn't even know these guys were in town, talked to a youth group there that was in town and they asked me stuff and it was like, it was clear that these kids were so aware of their privilege that they were paralyzed by their privilege. They cannot do anything that would look like service outside of their own little group because they're just paralyzed by it. We do need to pause and take stock of our privilege and all of the unintended consequences of how we use it, but we should not stay paralyzed by that. There will not be a reward in heaven for not having made cultural mistakes. You know, that, that, that is not a reward in heaven. What is a reward in heaven is those who have been Jesus Christ in the world. Visiting, that word visit, what that will do to you is means there will, if you bring dignity, there will be an exchange of dignities. When I visit, I am being hosted. I am being hosted. I am the guest. Um, I am becoming entangled in your life. This person is becoming three-dimensional to me. It is not an abstraction. It is not a political problem. This is a real person in front of me who I'm visiting. I leave and their problems have become my problems. I cannot be the same person the rest of the week. I, uh, 
I, I was just praying this morning and my, I, I was thinking of places and people I've entangled myself with over the years. And I just came across this one person that Lisa and I um, just happened upon when we lived in the most remote part of uh, China that we ever lived in. And back then we just had little Ava and little Layla and we would stick them in strollers and we would go trolling for conversations. Like people would just come out to talk to them and we would, that would just be our way of engaging. People would wanna see Ava and Layla. And Ava learned to hold her hands over her cheeks because people had never uh, been around a kid with, you know, a white kid before and wanted to pinch her cheeks. And then she'd reach over and hold Layla's cheek for her. Um, but we were just in a place that just didn't have global exposure. But we just met the most beautiful people. And I remembered that there was a lady with scars all over her face who invited us in. Not everybody would invite us, but she's like, come to my home, please come to my home. So we we're like, we go with you. We went to her home. She decided to tell us about the scars on her face. And she said, the scars on my face are because um, I married a blind man because I wasn't very married, marriable. So my parents gave me to a blind man, which was a stigma basically. And those grandparents, or the, the in-laws, wanted a boy bad to undo the stigma in their family. And she kept having girls. So she got beat. And she said, I climbed over that wall. And um, she had to give away the daughters so that she would have another spot in queue to have another son. Um, her, I was sucked into her world. Did I have anything to solve? No, but I had two daughters with me. There was an expression, and just to be clear culturally, there's a huge evolution culturally in the urban places, and this stuff has changed greatly where girls are much more valued. Um, than before, praise God. Um, so it's a good thing. But this sometimes in like very, very rural farming context, there's still just like a raw need for male labor and some of that, some of that uh, stuff is still in play. And um, yeah, so she, um, yeah, I just remembered there was this uh, Chinese expression that just made this very explicitly gross statement to Zhong Nan Qingyu. Heavy emphasis on the boys, light on the girls. And I just, I made my own expression that I used many times. I am Zhong Nan, Zhong Yu See my two daughters here? God loves these girls. I want more daughters. And um, I received dignity from her. She received dignity from me. I had not thought of her. I, I said, you know, I wonder if I still have her contact information. And we would take notes and I put in the notes, scars on the face, because I need to remember she had a surname Ma, which is incredibly common among Chinese Muslims from Muhammad. And I found her contact information, and I went into one of the apps, and I just, I wonder if her number is still connected, is connected to this app. And the, her name, she would have been illiterate, but her name, this was just a couple of hours ago, was Nansho, which just means pain. That was her username, pain. So I sent her a friend request, <laughs> see what happens. This is the world out there, guys. It needs Jesus. You need to taste him. You need to taste like him. You need to see him. You need to look like him. We need to go out into the world. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, um, Thank you that this is not a burden, but an invitation. Um, this is not you 
being mean to us with unrealistically high ideals, but a, a world you entered into, this is part of your enfleshment and part of what it means in epiphany to like see light and to be light. Pray for your spirit. In Christ's name, amen.